0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.
1: The UN's 28th Annual Global Climate Talks, COP28, are underway in Dubai and expectations are running high that a significant breakthrough could be delivered in the coming days. In this episode of IBEC Responds, Dr. Dermot Torney, Associate Professor at DCU's School of Law and Government, and IBEC's Conor Minogue, offer their reflections on the first few days, recent controversies, the big items up for discussion, the markers for success,
0: and the future of COP. Connor Minogue, I look after energy and climate policy in IBEC. I'm here with Dermot Torney, Associate Professor of the School of Law and Government in DCU, and also Dermot heads up the Climate and Society um, Centre in DCU. So very welcome, Dermot. Thanks for having me, Connor. Today we're talking about COP28, Uh, which is currently taking place in Dubai. We have to give COP its full title. It's the Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And this is an annual event. This event, I think we can safely say from day one, has been plagued with a little bit of controversy given its location in the the United Arab Emirates. The last few days of COP, so we're, we're in day five now, The first few days were really around setting the scene. We had political leaders from over 160 countries descend on Dubai. We've had national statements, but we've also had controversy, more controversy as well. So I might first ask Dermot, what's your initial reflection on what we've seen so far?
1: Well, uh, as you said, we had what's sometimes called the the high-level segment uh, at the start. So that's the leaders of the world flying in, delivering their statements and not hanging around uh, very much. And then they essentially, the leaders leave and they leave it to their negotiators to to carry things forward. Uh, And then towards the end of these conferences, always last for around two weeks, towards the end, uh, ministers um uh, and uh equivalents uh come in uh for to for for another high level segment uh, towards towards the end so uh, as you said connor there's been controversy uh from the start and and before the start around the the the, the, the host uh, and just over this past weekend then particularly Particular controversy uh, arose around comments recorded last week by the COP president, Sultan al Jaber, who seemed to question the, the the science around climate change and whether uh, phasing out fossil fuels uh, is required to achieve one of the key temperature targets in, in the Paris Agreement. That's the 1.5 degree temperature target. So controversy in, in the, the first few days, and I suspect that's going to rumble on.
0: Yeah, and I guess the question then is: Will this controversy undermine the work of the week ahead, or will it actually maybe put fire behind some of the negotiations that they really have to deliver an outcome here? Um, in terms of what the big issues, I suppose, up for discussion, my talk is through some of those those big items that, um, that the negotiations will centre around.
1: Sure. So there are. Uh a number of key issues on the agenda so if we th- think about climate policy in general it's often divided into two categories so there's mitigation that's re- reducing greenhouse gas emissions and then there's adaptation that's responding to to the impacts of of climate change so if we take each of those in in turn on the mitigation side coming back to that question of fossil fuels a lot of attention is going to be paid on what exact language is included in the final decision text, around fossil fuels and the the the, the key points of, of difference are around whether there should be a phase out uh, of fossil fuels or alternatively a phase down. So <clears throat> those words mean different things, uh, and uh, they they send different signals to the world, to to world markets, to to business leaders, to to governments uh, around the world. There's also a related point of controversy around whether it's all fossil fuels or unabated uh, fossil fuels, and, and maybe we can come back uh, to, to that in, in a few minutes. There's also likely to be some language around scaling up renewable energy uh, and energy efficiency. So the G20 recently uh, agreed uh, on, I, I think it's a, a threefold increase in renewable uh, energy capacity by 2030 and a doubling of uh, energy uh, the, the, the rate of energy efficiency. So we're likely to see some language uh, around that as well. Um, importantly, this this at this COP there's a new work programme on just transition, so I think we're likely to see uh, some text uh, around that <clears throat> on the adaptation side. Uh, the Paris Agreement included language around a, go- a global goal for adaptation, but that hasn't yet been really fleshed out properly. So that that's a job of work uh, for for negotiators to do. Somewhat related to adaptation is the whole area of loss and damage, which was a really big agenda item for last year's. Cop, uh, a, a transitional committee uh, on which Ireland was represented uh, by Sinead Walsh from the Department of Foreign Affairs, has met over the past year. Came up with a provisional agreement uh, on how to operationalise the just the loss and damage fund, uh, and that was adopted uh, on the first day of of the of the COP. And then climate finance is, is another big uh, big item on on the agenda and cutting across all of those different agenda items is a conflict between rich countries and and poor countries and if we look back at the you know the 30 years of these negotiations uh, at this stage that's one of the key fault lines is between the the rich countries of the global north and and developing countries in the global south
0: yeah and I suppose Ireland going into these negotiations, we saw the Taoiseach speaking over the weekend and obviously there's this commitment to that loss and damage fund and maybe a bit of a uncertainty is it's new money or old money. But Ireland really goes into this, I suppose, leaders in climate ambition, but maybe without the success in terms of implementation of, of climate targets. What what are kind of Ireland's kind of big issues going into this?
1: Sure. Just on that point of the, the, the gap between uh, ambition and implementation, I was struck that in his high level statement, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said, m- made that point to, to the leaders of, of the world that we need implementation as well as State, you know, statements of of new new ambition, uh, and I think that that applies equally to us here here in Ireland as it does around around the the, the world. In terms of Ireland's key priorities so it's important to bear in mind that Ireland negotiates as part of the EU at at these negotiations so it's it's not that Ireland is speaking on our own behalf the EU coordinates very effectively and has done for for many years at this stage in in the in the UN climate change negotiations and so the EU has agreed a set of priorities going into the the COP in the Council of of Ministers. In terms of Ireland's own priorities, so the whole area of loss and damage, last year Minister Eamon Ryan was appointed by his EU counterparts to to lead uh, on behalf of the the EU uh, and you know, carrying some of that, that work forward I, I think Ireland's work on climate finance on adaptation finance Ireland has a, a very good record in, in that area generally. Our climate finance is typically in the form of grants rather than loans. One of the, the big bugbears of countries in the global south recipients of climate finance is that often when rich countries provide it they provide it in, in the form of loans rather than, than grants and Ireland's climate finance is predominantly focused on adaptation Rather than mitigation, which is what what developing countries are typically looking for, so Ireland has has a good record in in that uh, area, and uh, I, I, I think in the negotiations, Minister Ryan and, and his officials will be looking to to make progress in in that area. But as as you say, Ireland, no different from the rest of the world, needs to really step up to the plate in terms of I- implementing what we've what we've pledged.
0: And on the topic of fossil fuels, so the, the discussion around fossil fuels phase down, uh, fa- phase out, and what fossil fuels are covered in that agreement, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And, and obviously, we in Glasgow, there was a compromise, which I think a lot of people were unhappy with. But, you know, what really is the, what, what are we expecting here's an outcome.
1: Sure. So if we cast our minds back to two years ago to the Glasgow COP26, Cop, Cop uh, that was, took some people by surprise the The fact that that was, in fact, the very first time that was COP26. So this 26th iteration of, of these conferences and it was the first time that, that fossil fuels were, were mentioned in any decision text from from one of these conferences and so the language there at the last minute was the, the 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 was a watering down so it was a reference to phase down rather than phase out and it was unabated coal as far as i remember was was the language and the the critique from uh countries like India in uh, and other countries in, in the global south was that it was a bit hip, hypocritical for uh countries of the global north to be uh directing all the attention on coal because of course in in Ireland we have some coal remaining in in money point but predominantly our our electricity system and our energy system has moved away from from coal uh uh, and that's the, the case across many countries in the developed world so the argument from countries like india was that it's convenient for uh for rich countries to be talking about a uh, a phase out of of coal but not of oil and gas which is what our energy systems are are typically dependent on so fast forward 2 years to to this year and uh, the expectation or the the hope is that there will be language around all fossil fuels not not just uh coal and the dividing lines are really around Yeah, whether it's phase out, phase down, and this question of unabated is is really important. And we saw some comments from Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and Minister Eamon Ryan over the last few days over in in Dubai around this. And uh, Minister Ryan was making the point in comments that that I, I saw that when we talk about uh, unabated uh, uh, abated emission, emissions, so essentially using carbon capture and storage, we should be reserving that for only a very small category of residual emissions that come from processes that are really very hard to abate. So... Minister Ryan talked about uh, steel and cement chemicals is 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 another industrial process in in uh in that area where very high temperatures are required and it's very hard to achieve that through electro uh, electri- electrification so, so there is an argument for using carbon capture and storage for those very limited circumstances but the danger if the language in the decision text coming out of COP28 has a broader reference to phasing out only unabated fossil fuel use is that that then becomes license for essentially continuation of business as usual yeah. so the the whole energy sector sees that and the signal they take from it is that we can continue drilling for oil gas uh, and and coal as long as we build into our business plans that there will be wide, widespread carbon carbon capture and storage. And there isn't really, uh, as far as I understand, there isn't really the, the capacity for CCS carbon capture and storage to absorb the, the kinds of emissions from the whole energy system.
0: Yeah, and what, and what we did see over the weekend was an announcement from Minister Ryan that they are working on a framework, a legislative framework to allow CCS... In Ireland, which he says will be directed at some of those really hard to abate sectors, including cement. So I suppose we'll be we'll be keeping an eye on that, as well as I suppose the industrial heat roadmap that's being developed by government, and what are the options for the different sectors of our economy. Just on the the negotiations, and so one of the I suppose criticisms of COP, or sometimes loaded as one of its its big. Um, Benefits is that it, it, it works by consensus. And so that obviously makes things very challenging when you have so many different interests. China, you know, representative of between a quarter and a third of global emissions. What can we expect from China in in, in these discussions? Because they have to really be on board with, with what's happening.
1: They do, like you say, they're they're responsible for a large share of, of global emissions. That they are also responsible for a large share of global population. So on a per capita basis, their emissions I, I think are a little bit higher than the Europe's. On on a, a they they're they're an important part of of the solution. They 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 seem to be taking a relatively low profile president xi jinping decided not to go well, president joe biden from the us uh, also didn't didn't attend but behind the scenes china is taking significant steps to scale up renewable energy in in particular and recent projections suggest that china's emissions may may peak in in the coming years China's original target under the, the submitted under the Paris Agreement was that its emissions would peak by 2030, and the projections suggest that it could happen quite a number of years before 2030. Now, what happens emissions after that peak, whether they plateau or or decline uh, at a slow pace or at a, at a r- faster pace, uh, remains to 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 be seen but it it's it's a mixed picture I and mean, the, the scale of china means the scale of china's economy means that it's the 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 bad things that it does are amplified look very large on the, on the, the 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 global stage but also the good things that they do like massive investment in renewable energy also has a big global impact
0: i ask about china because one of the you know recurring issues in, in cop uh, discussions is we all need to move together on this, and there's a there's a fear from some countries that if 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 too much ground is given, other countries will have a competitive advantage. So, for example, for the US, you know, having China move in tandem with the US is critical. But just talk about COP, the future of COP. We have seen since 1995, the first COP in Berlin, emissions have grown by about 67 percent. Uh, in cumulative terms, they have doubled, which is kind of a really important thing in terms of global warming. We also see the carbon footprint that COP itself has with, you know, 40,000 plus delegates offic- are officially arriving more on top of that, most likely. What do we need to do to reform COP? Is, is Are the changes we need to see or is it still worth the, I suppose, the, the carnival that comes with it, because of what potentially could be achieved sure so it's it's a valid question
1: so on on the the, the question of why emissions keep on increasing despite now twenty eight of these conferences taking place, suggests that that maybe we're not tackling the the underlying drivers of, of global emissions things like our, our whole e- economic uh, model uh, our endless fixation on on, uh, on, on growth and endless uh, accumulation so but the the, the the question of whether cop needs to be reformed I I, I think uh, maybe we need to reevaluate our uh, expectations of, of of the the, the cop and we often see headlines in advance of each cop about you know last chance to to save the the, the planet there have been many last chances at, at at this stage and i think that's really misrepresenting the the, the purpose of of a uh, the the cop process what it really serves to do is to provide a, a forum for negotiators to come together every year Review progress, set ground rules around uh, acceptable and unacceptable behaviour. So the language around fossil fuels is important, not because it's a binding decision on uh, on all of the countries of of the world, but because it sends a signal about the general d- direction of 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 travel, uh, and says if the the COP agrees that we um we we are going to see an end to to, to fossil uh, to fossil fuels, um. But it also serves an important domestic uh, purpose in countries around the world which is that it provides uh, a focal point for discussions around climate change uh, every year so Connor, you and i probably wouldn't be having this conversation today for this podcast if it wasn't for 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 cop um we see uh you know this morning morning ireland the the tara shine uh was was interviewed it was one of the the headline news items it's in the news headlines every every day for 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 two weeks, I think there are five Irish government ministers going to to COP. That's putting climate change on their agendas on the, on the agendas of their advisors and and officials, uh, and so all of that helps to generate momentum and bring bring attention across the policy making system, across the business community, across society in, in general. So so I think COP serves that broader purpose. Now, whether you need 40,000 or I, I think it's 103,000 is the number that's officially registered, going to Dubai to achieve that, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. But but I think that the process itself serves uh, a wider purpose than just looking at the,
0: the, the details of what's uh, negotiated. And of course, for developing countries, they see it as one of the few opportunities to have this discussion about the impacts that they're experiencing in terms of climate change with the the leaders of the developed world. So. Well, look, we'll, we'll see what the, the next few days bring. Just to thank you all for listening and thank Dermot for coming in. Just use this opportunity to also mention the IBIC Climate Action Toolkit. It's a new resource to help businesses address their emissions in a systematic and best practice way. So check out our website for information on the Climate Action Toolkit uh, that we developed with Accenture. So thanks again, Dermot, and thank you all for listening. Thanks, Connor.
1: We hope that you enjoyed this episode of IBEC Responds. To explore our full podcast offering, visit ibec.ie slash podcasts and make sure to follow IBEC Podcasts to stay up to date with
0: new episodes. IBEC, the voice of Irish business.